Someone made the comment, I'll, I'll make the, I'll explain. Someone was commenting on this new uh, pulpit here, um, and they asked, is it because I needed a shorter one? And the answer is yes. Pastor Tim is just a little taller than I am, so, uh, but also I like that I can hide a little bit behind it, and uh, it's not see-through, I don't know. Let's pray as we approach God's Word together. Lord, thank you again for your Word. It is good. It is life. And we're so grateful that you give it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever come across a a friend or an acquaintance and you see them, you, you run across them and you say, well, hey, how are you? And you're just saying it to kind of be polite because that's what we say to each other. How are you? But this person takes you seriously and then launches into all the things that are going on in his or her life and all the things he or she are grateful for, what's going on with family and work and all the blessings and new endeavors and passions and all sorts of things. And you kind of stop here. Woo, I wasn't ready for that. It's a, you can't take that all in. And kind of like that, that phrase, the saying that we use, drinking from a fire hose. I always love that image. You can't really take a sip from a fire hose, can you? Not going to happen. Well, in the passage that we're going to look at this morning, in the passage that we're going to study, we basically are going to see something just like that with the Apostle Paul. From the moment his pen hits the scroll, it's as though Paul launches into pouring out his heart. He's gushing. He, He cannot contain the high thoughts that he has about God. He, he can't contain them. I don't think he wants to contain them. He wants us to join him in not containing our thoughts about God. But let's hold that thought for just a moment. Today we are kicking off a new series through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now you may ask, well, why Ephesians? Well, there are a lot of reasons. One of the most important themes in this letter to the Ephesians is unity in the gospel something we need here don't we in it paul explains how the gospel takes jews and gentiles and makes them one new man it is a letter filled with guidance for what the christian life looks like together in community as one especially community made up of disparate peoples and different people groups it's a letter that starts with the very basics of our salvation and our faith. And Paul digs deep and he lays a foundation, a theological foundation to which the Christian life is a response. This letter helps us to understand our God in a deeper way, and I am excited to get started this morning. Throughout Paul's letters, we see a pattern As Paul is thinking about the good news, as he's writing about the good news, as he's thinking about the glories of God, he often gets really excited and he breaks into what we call doxology, praise, worship. Now, usually with Paul, it comes in the body of the letter, uh, often after some deep theological reflection, like at the end of Romans 11, where Paul cries out, oh, the the depth of the riches of and wisdom and knowledge of God. Well, in Ephesians, Paul starts 
with an outburst of praise. He begins with this outburst of doxology and adoration and glory. And it's like he keeps that awe the rest of the letter. He's writing from prison, locked up, expecting that he's going to die soon. He, he, he seems to have been overwhelmed by the thought of the God he serves and the salvation that God had planned, and he just can't keep it to himself. He wants to bless God's name, and he wants his readers to know why they ought to bless God's name as well. This morning, we're going to take a look at just one part of an opening paragraph filled with adoration of God. We're going to start by trying to get a sense of, of Paul's framework, his, his mindset, and some background to Ephesus and the Ephesians, and, and then we're going to look at exactly what Paul thinks God has blessed us with that we ought to be blessing him for. Please turn with me in your Bibles, and if you don't have one with you, again, there's some in, in the, underneath the chair in front of you, so I encourage you to grab a Bible, open it up, and keep it open to Ephesians chapter 1. It's page 976 in the Sanctuary Bibles. Ephesians chapter 1, let's turn there together. And I'm going to read starting at verse 1. So it's Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Let's hear from God's Word. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Amen? What a, what a glorious passage. And I should have just kept reading through verse 14. As a matter of fact, I, I, I don't know if you've ever felt this. Well, you probably felt it every time I preach. Uh, you wish the pastor would just read the passage and sit down because it's just that glorious. And there's almost no need to even comment. Well, let's start by looking at the background and greeting. If you turn on the back of your bulletin, there's a real high-level outline there, and you can just follow along with that and fill in as you will. But we want to start with this greeting and background for Paul here in Ephesians. Unlike our typical way of writing letters, now probably we don't even write letters anymore today, maybe emails, okay? We start, dear so-and-so. Well, that's not how it was in their time in the Greco-Roman world. As a matter of fact, they would start with the sender of the letter, the one who was writing the letter. And so here Paul writes Paul, his name. But of course I want you to notice and read carefully there because Paul doesn't end with his name. He gives us a little bit about himself. And please note this, when Paul is going to give anything about himself, he also will give something about his God. Because Paul finds his identity in God and his relationship to him. 
So he writes, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the will of God. That's important. He's Christ's apostle. Yes, Christ has sent him for this work. But notice that he says it is by the will of God. And this is important because of the theme that's going to be prevalent throughout the letter to the Ephesians. In other words, what Paul is telling us is this. It's not by his own will. He's not an apostle by his own desire. It wasn't a job he applied for and somehow was qualified for. There's something, this is something that was given to him by God, called He was called for this position by God. He was not sufficient, but made it sufficient for this calling by God. In fact, Paul really had little to do with this calling. He was Christ's enemy until God met him. And the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus stopped him, changed him, turned him around, and sent him with this calling. Now, this is important because of the emphasis we're going to see in this letter on God's initiating grace, the will of God. The next thing that we see in Greco-Roman letters, though, is that they write about who the recipients are. And so Paul says, to the saints in Ephesus and to the believers in Christ Jesus. You may notice in the ESV it translates that, uh, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. But that word can be translated believers, and I think in this context it fits better. What's most important here is this. Paul not only defines himself by his relationship with the Lord, but he also wants to define his recipients that way. He wants you and me who are thinking about the word that he's writing to us to consider what our relationship is to the Lord and find our identity there. And so he says to them, saints, holy ones. This is the language of those who are set apart by God. It's not saying that they are pious somehow and holy themselves. It's what God has done to them that makes them holy. As a matter of fact, it's the language of Old Testament Israel used here by Paul. They're also the ones who believe in Christ. If you notice that language, they have trusted in Christ. And by the way, that's what set them apart from others around them, from Jews and Gentiles in Ephesus. They believed in Jesus, and and that made them folks that were ostracized and, and marginalized. But Paul wants to emphasize that very thing because he says that Jesus is the relationship that matters most fundamentally. He gives us identity. So before we move on, I think this is a good place to stop and ask and and help you to, to start thinking about what Paul wants you to think about. Ask yourself, do you think of yourself as set apart by God and do you find your core identity in your relationship with Jesus? Is that part of your self understanding? That I am God-called and Jesus-reliant. We were singing earlier, Waymaker and all those things, that is who you are. Here, Paul wants us to understand this is who we are. Paul, to saints and believers, grace and peace, of course, from God. It's Paul's regular greeting. We could spend a lot of time in this greeting. We won't. 
Paul has taken the typical Greek greeting and he has taken the typical Jewish greeting and he has infused them with the depth of theological truth that everything begins with the grace of God that gives to us peace with God that can only be found in Christ. But there's still more. Before we move to the body of the letter, we have to stop and consider what is it that we know about Ephesus? What do we know about those that Paul is writing to? What kind of culture is he writing to? Now, one of the first things that you'll read when you read something scholars have written is that the best New Testament manuscripts that we have don't, or some of the best, not all of them, but some of the best don't even include the word Ephesus. And so we're trying to make sense of that, and some people think that, well, maybe he was writing a circular letter, and it was supposed to go to more people than just to Ephesus. Now, it's not clear. I think it really was targeted to Ephesus, but we're not sure. Regardless, there are some things that we know about all of Asia Minor that help us to understand what Paul is saying here. Ephesus was full of gods and goddesses, magic and more. They had a temple to the goddess Artemis, and they were proud of it, fiercely proud of it. In some sense, the the people were extremely spiritual. They believed in the spiritual realm, and they were as pagan as possible. They had incantations for every occasion. Love potions, spells to harm and manipulate, amulets, magic books. In fact, if you've read in Acts chapter 19, there was a riot that was taking place in Ephesus because they were upset that Paul was disrupting their economy. The, The silversmiths and those who were making idols to Artemis and other gods and goddesses were getting upset that they were going to go bankrupt if Christians took over Ephesus because no, they were burning their magic books and they didn't want to falsely worship these gods and goddesses anymore. But that's how prevalent it was. Now think about the view that such people had to have of their gods and goddesses. What was the false view of divinity and deity that Paul is addressing? The gods and goddesses of their world were capricious They were moody. They needed to be manipulated. They needed to be fed. Maybe their egos needed to be fed. There were always, there was always a worry that their gods would be against them, that their God would be against the people. And so what they would do, and we read about this in in even extra biblical works, they paid for magic to, to please or deter the gods. They they participated in strange rituals in the temple. Their gods were, for lack of a better term, very human in the sense that they were fickle and arbitrary and swayed easily and emotional. And if you look at how Paul reflects on them in, in the letter to the Corinthians, they're demonic. There's something going on behind those gods and goddesses. There was no stability in the relationship these people had with their gods And that was the the religious past of those that Paul's writing to. That's what they had experienced before. But now they've come to Christ, but there's still baggage that they retained, as we all often do. Now look at verse 3 of our passage, where Paul often starts with thanksgiving and, and prayer in his letters. Here it's as though Paul has decided to start with a bang, Verses 3 through 14, and you can look at there in your text, they are one 
long, complex sentence of 202 Greek words. And some of the most beautiful and glorious adoration and worship that you will ever find. Paul has something on his mind and he wants the Ephesians to know it. He wants you and me to know it as well. Don't miss it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He begins with a summary. And he's going to explain what he means by every spiritual blessing. Bless God because he's blessed us with every blessing. Notice that three times the root bless is used in this short sentence. Paul refers to God as blessed, that is praised, adored, and worthy of that kind of praise and adoration. He refers to the the fact that God has blessed us. In other words, provided graciously for us. And what has he provided for us? Spiritual blessings. Blessings of the Spirit. What is that spiritual blessing? A blessing that is of the Spirit, which for Paul is the Holy Spirit of promise, which for Paul, again, is thinking back to the new covenant. The promise that we, as God's new covenant people, have the Holy Spirit of God in and with us, and in Him we have everything. Here's part of what God said to the Old Testament saints about that Spirit. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. Listen to the promise. And I will give you a new heart... And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Furthermore, the Lord promises to be their God and increase their fruitfulness, to provide for them in every way. That's what's on Paul's mind. Every spiritual blessing, everything we really need is ours in Christ. Newness, fullness, eternity. Not temporary blessings that will be taken away, but blessings of a different dimension altogether. Note well what he says there, in the heavenlies. He's thinking that spiritual realm, which doesn't mean less real for Paul. He's not thinking of Casper the Friendly Ghost or something like that. He's thinking of something that is more real. Think about Elisha and and his servant. When, When Elisha prays that the Lord will open his servant's eyes so he will see what's really going on around him. And the curtain is is taken back and he can see what chariots of fire and all of the host of God there. That's what Paul is thinking of. Another dimension entirely. Remember, these Ephesians strongly believed in the spiritual realm. They, They believed in magic and spirits and powers and more. And so Paul is helping them see that they in Christ have no need of any of those powers any longer. They have it all. And so do we. Don't miss this. Paul sees that all of these things, all the blessings that God has given to the Ephesian Christians and to us, are given in Christ. They're tied to who Christ is and what Christ has done. And they are ours and we're in Him. 
And if you thought that's a great beginning, Paul takes off from there. And he begins to expand on what these blessings are. He enumerates them for us. Why we too should be worshiping. And he starts with this. Look at verse 4 in your passage there. He chose us before the foundation of the world. Paul begins with the doctrine of election. Can you imagine? Paul, don't you know that's controversial? (laughs) Paul, don't you know that people find that a little uncomfortable? I don't think Paul cares. (laughs) Because this is important. This is what Paul says is the reason we need to bless God. Divine election. That God has chosen those he will make his own. Not because of anything in us, but because of his own desire and love. Where the ESV translates, even as, it can be translated since or for. Now look at it carefully. Look at the text. Paul is worshiping and blessing God because God chose us before the foundation of the world. For Paul, this is not just some theological truth. It is a cause for great praise and thanksgiving and adoration. But I want you to stop and think for a moment about those Ephesian Christians and what they were used to. They're used to their fickle gods, their impersonal gods and goddesses. They're used to trying to manipulate their gods and appease their gods and, and win their gods over. They're used to the instability and fear and perhaps the ostracism now of being a believer. And imagine how they would feel in the middle of all that to hear that God, the glorious God, the King of all kings, chose them before the foundation of the earth, of the world. Suddenly they have something to hang their hat on. Something to cause stability. You see, before the foundation of the world, that language emphasizes that it is not what they have done. It's not what they've earned. It's not finding the right magic or right incantation or spell, the right potion, or having enough idols in your home. It isn't searching long and hard enough. No, this, like Paul's call to apostleship, is a work of God in us. And now we can rest. Just stop and think. Paul takes this language, by the way, from the language of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 7, where the Lord is writing or speaking to Israel, His chosen ones. He says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Beloved, Paul wants us to bless God because God chose us freely. Like that weakest player on the schoolyard, the kid that never gets picked, ever. But this time, he gets picked first. 
by the captain of the team. Not because he could offer anything to help the team, but out of the kindness of the captain's heart. Can you imagine the thanksgiving in a moment like that? But there's more because God has chosen us for a purpose. What an honor. Look at it carefully. What's the purpose? Well, just like we read with Israel, God has chosen us to be holy and blameless before Him. Beloved, He has chosen us to be what humanity was supposed to be but failed to be in Adam. Right? Scripture says He's chosen us to be a royal priesthood, to be salt and light. He has chosen us to be conformed to the image of the Son to make Him known. We get to be God's people. The holiness and blamelessness is something that God accomplishes in Christ. It's what He chooses us for, and so He does the work in us, but it's also something we strive for because He's done it in us. Remember last week we said that there's a picture that's painted. This is who you are in Christ. Now be that person in Christ. We strive for holiness and purity because our identity is such that God has chosen us for that very calling. Oh, but there's more here. Look at verse 5. Because Paul doesn't stop with election. He likes to get even more controversial. Look at verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Adoption. Amazing. Now, beloved, I know that when we speak of election and predestination, we get a little bit uncomfortable. And people begin to, to, to ask the question, if God chose us, what does that mean for others? Now take a look at verse 5 really carefully and look at what we're seeing here. Notice something. Paul doesn't address that here at all, does he? He'll address that other places, but for now, here, Paul is so busy adoring God for his love. He is so busy, taken by the kindness of God toward us in Christ. So blown away by his own unworthiness, and yet this glorious blessing of being chosen. He simply wants to bless God. And so should we. Imagine if that weak player who, who gets picked first by the captain, does he turn around to the captain and say, well, why didn't you choose those other guys? No. I don't know if you guys uh, watch these clips, these video clips sometimes on YouTube and other uh, medium, where the, there are children finding out that they, the adoption papers have now gone through and they are going to have a forever family. Have you guys seen those clips? So fun to watch. Have you seen the tears of joy and excitement and love that just permeates those moments? They don't question the love of the one adopting them because that family isn't adopting other children, do they? Look, beloved, there are certainly things that go beyond our comprehension, but there are also things that are clear in the Scriptures. And one of those things is the love of God toward Christians. If you are a Christian, it is because God has loved you and he has predestined you for adoption. Praise him for it. 
That means that he planned and executed his plan to make you, by name, his own. Though we were far off, though we were sinners dead in our sins, though we still probably act very rebellious at times, though we were distant, yet he made us his and his inheritance ours. Hallelujah. Not just saved from our sins, but notice what Paul says. We're brought into God's very family, adopted. And please don't miss this one additional thing. It's hard to see it in the ESV. But if you look at verse 5, literally translated, here's what it would say. He has predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ for himself. Now listen. According to the good pleasure of his will. According to the good pleasure of his will. Listen, God not only willed our salvation and our adoption, beloved, he delights in it. It pleases him to love you and to lavish his blessings upon you. God, the almighty maker of heaven and earth, creator of the universe, delights in adopting you into his home, into his presence. It gives him great joy. How that must have felt for those lonely Ephesians. How it must make us feel. You are loved. Beloved, it's something interesting. Whenever I've watched those videos of those adoptions that are taking place, it strikes me that not only are the children in tears, but so are the adoptive parents. Why? They love that child. They chose that child. They want to pour out their love and their blessings on that child. They delight in and are pleased to adopt that child. A picture of God's love for us. Adoption. Brought into the family of God with all rights and inheritance. And notice this. For Paul, the crescendo leads up to verse 6. Look at verse 6. Grace to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. What is grace? It's the gift of God unmerited by the recipient. We're saved by grace. Some have said it is unmerited favor. That's a good definition. Grace is the kindness of God given freely, undeserved, unconditional. Here, Paul concludes this section by telling us that everything he has said up to this point leads to this. Praise and adoration for something very specific. The glorious grace of God. It all points to grace. That's what Paul is highlighting. Election, predestination, adoption, before the foundation of the earth, according to the good pleasure of his will. Don't let these fool you as as theological terms. They're pointing to one important truth. This is all God, and it is all grace. It is all undeserved. It is all extravagant. It is all lavish. And yes, as John Newton says, it is amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
You see that last part, the, the, the wretch like me, if we don't believe that, then grace makes no sense. If we don't think that we are undeserving and we don't merit, then none of this will make sense and God's grace will not seem so big and so good. But when you know yourself, as Paul knew himself, there is nothing that we should be praising God for more than this. If we're unsure about Paul's point up to now, we can't miss it. All of this points to God's glorious grace with which he has blessed us which we only can understand with the backdrop of our unworthiness. Everything Paul has said makes it clear. As one author put it, salvation comes without human cause at all. Praise the Lord. He has blessed us in the beloved. Do you see that? Verse 6. In the one that is loved, in the precious one, the only begotten, See what Paul is doing here. All of these blessings and all of this grace is ours in Christ. In the Beloved. Only in Him and only because we are His. Jesus is the real Beloved. He is the only worthy one. He is the only one who truly pleases the Father. Remember at His baptism? This is my Beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Well, guess what? If you are in Christ, if you are in the Beloved, we also are loved by God. That relationship between Father and Son is now ours as a gift. Chosen to be His people, adopted into His very family, none of this our doing. In fact, we were dead when He made us alive. How can we stop praising Him? We praise Him by acknowledging His grace and our unworthiness. We praise Him by putting our faith and hope in Christ alone. We praise Him by living out who He has made us to be. We praise Him by telling the world just how glorious He and His grace are. We're going to end our service with the worship team coming up and closing with a beautiful song that highlights what we have in the Beloved. The second part of the opening verse says this, To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all is mine, yet not I but through Christ in me. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would understand that all is ours in Christ alone. Thank you for this grace that we cannot fathom, we cannot comprehend, but we can bask in. And as we continue in the coming weeks in our series through Ephesians, may we become ever more cognizant of our desperate need and your glorious love. In Jesus we pray. Amen.